Exactly, exactly. Like, how do my kids know how to do that? But God, this morning again, we just come to you in prayer because that's the best way to come to you. Say your house is a house of prayer. We want it to be that way, God, where we really talk to you and really seek you for who you are, our Father. And God, we're thankful. We thank you for all the things that you're doing and have been doing the past year or so in our lives together here in uh, New York. And thank you that this next season, God, it's obvious that it's, it's coinciding with the spring, that growth is going to spring up from the seeds that you've planted and from the people you're working in. So we pray for all the people involved, all the people who you intend to minister to, saved and unsaved alike. God, we ask that your word would continue to go forth from, from this area and through our lives, no matter where we are. God, by your spirit, because that's the only way it ever works, is by your spirit, God. We love you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, again, we're picking up in Genesis 18. Uh, be relieved, we're only going to cover half a chapter this morning, but uh, don't be relieved because it is going to take the whole time to do it. <laughs> but uh, the title of the message is, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? Uh, thankfully, God gives me all the titles because they're right in the scripture. I don't have to be creative. I just read and go, okay, that's a good title. <laughs> but sincerely... Is there anything too hard for you? Mia and Jacob, play nice, please. Don't interrupt this. Is anything too hard for you? Lifting weights. You know, I remember uh, lifting weights more in my past than now, and I should probably get back on that. It's been about 30 years. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's a point where you lift weights and you find a point where it's too hard for you. Maybe it was just the bar. Maybe you couldn't lift the bar. Maybe it was just a couple pounds. You know, you try and put on the big weights like the big guys do, and you go, no, can't lift it. But I guarantee you, if you kept at it, you know, you'd be able to lift them. But I don't want to keep at it. <laughs> it's too heavy. Uh, but getting older, you know, not the energy you had when you were a kid. Just talking with some friends who came over for dinner last night about, you know, the kids are all running around and have all this energy. And as we get older, it's just, it's just evident that we're all dying because we used to run around and not want to sit, sit still. And now all we want to do is sit still. And one day, that's all we'll do, <laughs> sit still. Uh, at least our bodies will. Uh, but I, I remember saying to Jake, Jake, I want to plug you into the wall. And he goes, what? No. Don't. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to harness all your energy. I would be a millionaire if I could turn your energy into uh, an energy source. I could unplug from O&R or P, I guess, who is it? For us, it's, somewhere, it's Central Hudson where we are. But really in life, are there things you just think are too hard for you? You know, we procrastinate because we don't want to do it, because we make up excuses that it's too hard. But it's really not too hard to do. Um, maybe you just have low self-worth. And I don't mean self-esteem because the world would want to give you self-esteem that's ungodly, that you take pride in yourself and pride becomes self-esteem. But sincerely, do we find ourselves thinking of ourselves unworthy? Unworthy. And God's standards and the world's standards, even in our own standards... But Romans 12, 3 through 8 says, For I say, through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And soberly means, well, you're going to get an honest opinion of yourself. It's not too low, you know, because a lot of times we beat ourselves up, really, not because we have low self-esteem, but because we're prideful and we're not matching up to what we think we should be. But he says this, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, I'm sure I've read this a million times before, but it's important. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing 
according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. You know, don't overdo it, but don't underdo it. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We put a lot of emphasis on teaching in our area of Christianity, and that's and in some sense, that's good because there's a lot of areas that put no emphasis on it and it's obvious. We need to have an emphasis on God's word. But if you read this, it's just one in the middle of a long list. Everyone has been given gifts according to grace in their lives and a measure of grace in their lives. And that gift is from God. It's the Holy Spirit himself. But he wants each one of us to use them and not look on each other and say, well, he teaches and I don't teach, so I can't be used by God. Well, yeah, not everyone needs to teach. The teaching is a high call, a scary call, but guess what? Maybe you've been given exhortation. Will you encourage someone in the Word? Will you strengthen someone in the Word? Will you encourage them to go in the right direction? Well, guess what? You're the part of the body that needs to do that. The teacher can't do everything. Teacher shouldn't do everything. And really, it would be kind of messed up if the teacher did do everything because it would be kind of a lousy meal. You know, you, would, <laughs> you, know, you only get what I cook for you, and uh, hopefully it's, it's, you get more than that. But sincerely, man, don't be afraid of the gifts God's given to you. You know, God gives you a word about something, a prophecy perhaps, or he puts an open door before you to serve him in some way, whether it's with your words or whether it's just an action. Man, do it with the measure of faith that God has given you. And if you feel like you don't have any faith, just say, God, please increase my faith. And you know what he says? Faith the size of a mustard seed, right? All it takes is just a tiny little smidge. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. We're so afraid of having different ministries. But it's all the same ministry. It's just different parts of it. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings. By what? The same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. A lot of times we look at these gifts as like it's some possession. It's something that we have to go to college, spiritual college, to, to get a gift. But no, the gift is the Holy Spirit himself saying, I'm with you. I'm giving you this ability, which is my ability. I'm giving you this ability, which is my ability. But they're not the same abilities. But it's the same spirit. So if we're going to operate right as the body, we need to operate in the spiritual gifts, the spiritual abilities that God has given us because they're going to work together. Why? Because it's the same spirit giving you the gift, giving you the gift, giving you the gift, giving me the gift to where, wow, when, that, when we begin to embrace the gifts that God has given us together in the Spirit and not desiring each other's gifts, but just desiring God as a gift, man, it congeals and it comes together in a way that none of us can orchestrate on our own. I don't care who your coach is. I don't care what your game plan is. When the Spirit of God works together in us by His Spirit, man, there's nothing like it. You know, with that, God has given you talents. We've got physical talents that we have, physical abilities, and we need to use them in the spirit. Like the deacon said that, man, these guys are just quote-unquote waiting tables, but they need, we need to pick men who are full of the Holy Spirit, even to be able to do a practical matter for God's kingdom. We need God's spirit for the practical matters and for the spiritual matters. But the spirit has given you the gifts himself. You know, every gift we have is from him. 
He's not inanimate. I know, we, I know we don't believe that. I know we don't necessarily think that. I think sometimes we treat him as that because when it comes time to doing something with him, we feel we have to do it on our own. We feel we have to conjure it up in ourselves instead of just resting our head on Jesus' chest like uh, John did and just let the Spirit do the work. A lot of times these things come as a natural desire. You know, maybe you don't know you have the gift, but as you begin to exercise it, Man, it starts to become reality. Maybe God gives you a desire for sharing. Desire at some point in your life to be a missionary or to go do these things. And you think of it as just a fleeting thought. Well, maybe it is. But maybe if you start praying about it, God will begin to show you that, no, this was a thought from Him. This is a desire from His Spirit in you. You know, you get a word, you go, oh, I'm too afraid to share it. I don't know how to share it. And, you know, a friend and I were talking the other night. And, you know, we really tend to overcomplicate things to a point where we try and make them look simple in Christianity. He was sharing with me about baptism and reading Acts. And, you know, when someone just comes in and says, hey, I want to know Jesus. And they go, great. And they go baptize him. But for some reason, someone comes into the church and they want to know Jesus or they say, I just met Jesus. You know, like I just got saved, like in their bedroom, for instance. And we kind of, you know, shuffle them over there and begin to look at them funny and not maybe believe them or we begin to grill them instead of leading them and making sure their knowledge is complete. Well, then why don't we just go baptize them? Well, there's nothing stopping us. You know, if someone comes and gets saved, let's just go over there. It's freezing cold. We'll dunk you quick. We'll, get, we'll preheat the car, and we'll get you back in. But I think sometimes we think we can't do that. I'm not saying we have to do that. I'm not saying it's God's spirit for us to only do that, that there's something wrong with organization because administration is a gift of the spirit. But man, I think sometimes the simple answer is, let's just go do it. The simple answer is, let's just share the gospel. The simple answer is, let me share with you. I think sometimes we sit back and go, well, they do it and it looks simple, but I don't know how they figured it out to do it that way. And so I can't figure it out to do it that way. So I guess I just don't have the gifts of the Spirit. I guess I just am not going to be used by God because I can't figure out how to do it. What's the point is that we don't have to figure out how to do it. It's simple. It's like God puts it in your heart. And, you know, obviously if it's something serious, pray about it for a while. But sometimes we don't need to pray about it. Nothing, you know, we were talking about is like just sometimes... It's just obvious, like, when God's doing something, and uh, he was sharing me, like, you know, just, just reading the Bible. I don't even need a specific word about this thing I'm going through. It's like, it's just obvious as I read the scripture. And I go, you're having these thoughts, too. You're having these independent thoughts outside of me, and we're having the same thoughts. Like, it's not always God. Sometimes it's, you know, TV. But sincerely, when you read the Bible, it's like sometimes it's just so obvious. It's just so right in front of you. Why would it not be? You know, there's things that pique our interest do so, for a reason, you know, we need to learn to do new things, you know, peaking my interest was cars and stuff, so I started learning how to do that, peaking my interest in high school was computers, learning how to do that, and that's my job, I didn't go to school for it, like, what kind of miracle is that, like, I got away with not going to school when I have a job, but I guarantee you, most of you guys could figure out how to do what you want to do, too, if you just do it, me too, you know, obviously there's stuff like, you know, where you're not musically inclined, you'll probably never be musically inclined. Maybe you'll be able to learn the chords, but you'll never be a worship leader, so to speak. But I think there's a lot more that each of us can do, practically and spiritually, if we just don't be afraid and just go for it. Because there are still plenty of things that are just too hard for us. Physically, mentally, emotionally, there are always going to be things that are too hard for us. And that's good, because everything is really, you know, I think there's a lot of reason, a lot of reason why we don't do things, because we think they're too hard for us. Well, they are, but you haven't tried it, so you don't know how hard it is like I think about a guy running a marathon a couple co-workers I have run marathons I'm like I put the 0.0 mile sticker on my car I ain't running no half or full marathon I guarantee if I started running a little bit I probably would at one point if I kept it up be able to do it but the thing is I the problem is really I don't want to do it 
And I think, unfortunately, with us spiritually, it comes down to, I don't want to do it. And man, is that really the right heart we should have um, as disciples? Because there's really plenty more spiritually that God wants you and I to live out. Remember, we looked last week before the foundations of the earth. He's prepared work for you to walk in it. Let's walk. Let's get walking. Let's walk it out. You know, Disney World had, I don't know if I said last time, but Disney World, Google Maps has Disney World on it. So you can like go street view. You don't have to go there anymore. Save a lot of money. But I think sometimes spiritually we do that. We just Google Maps with the Bible and with other ministries. And we see other people walking through the theme park of life, you know, doing the Christian life. And we just kind of sit back and we're spectators. But God wants, and that's fine, but God wants so much more for you. Uh, he does, and I think he just wants you to want it. He doesn't, we, none of us have to do any of this, but we get to. We get to do this, and, uh, and that's the great thing, because God doesn't need us to do it. You know, uh, yeah, the verse was before Jeremiah 3.15, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart. It will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And, um, you know, just, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. But life is not meant to be lived alone. You know, it's short. We go from dust and we come from dust and we go to dust. Uh, other scripture talks about our life being like a vapor. It, it fades, you know, it goes away. Um, but there is one who does not get old. One who does not wear out. Who neither sleeps or slumbers. You know, the, uh, while they were in the wilderness, the Israelites, apparently their clothes and shoes didn't wear out. And that was God saying, look, you know, your stuff on your own, if you were out here on your own, they would have worn out a long time ago. But you've been out here a long time and they haven't worn out because I'm with you. You're complaining, you don't think I'm with you, but just look at your shoes. Just look down. They're still there. Your feet are still in them. You know, that we're going to see that the Lord shows to, up to Abraham today, and that word is Jehovah or Yahweh. It's, you know, obviously we just have the, the yad Vavhe vav he in the Hebrew or whatever. We don't know the vowels that go between them, so there's debate about which one it is. I prefer Yahweh, but it it's, is what it is. But he's the existing one. No one made God come into being. You know, philosophy, we always had those things about who created God? Well, super God. You know, it's like, no, God is God. And God, an all-powerful being, is allowed to exist without a beginning, without an end. That's how it works. But we must let him strengthen us. You know, the verse says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things through Christ who gives me a high five and I go out and do it on my own, but Christ who strengthens me. We've got to be dependent on God. And it's okay to be dependent on God. Our culture, I think, we don't, we're told we shouldn't be dependent on anything. And yet, as they tell us that, we become dependent on everything that we shouldn't be dependent on. Because the Bible shows us, and God tells us, that it's okay to be weak. Because we're not designed to be strong without Him. We've talked about this before. You know, our batteries run out and our bodies wear out. And even Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8, this, I don't want to quote it too often because I'll use it as an excuse, but it says, bodily exercise profits little. But godliness profits all things, having promise of the life that now is and of which is to come. That, man, you know, we don't have to be the buffest, we don't have to be the strongest, but we do need to, we do need to seek spiritual buffness, so to speak, because it profits more than this life. And it's interesting how this world is all about this life and about being physically fit, but not spiritually fit. And there's a benefit to it. I want to get physically fit. You know, at least I want to. Let's see how much I really want to even do it. But sincerely, that's where the real benefit is, that God would strengthen us and God would give us life. And God, again, we just ask that you would strengthen us this morning in your word. Let us feed on it and feast on it. And God, that you would be the one who visits us. Thank you, God. So let's read the first uh, eight verses together. In Genesis 18. 
It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, you know, as he's done before, right? And he says, As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant, and they said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and he took a tender and a good calf, and he gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. We'll stop there for now. We saw last time that God talked with Abraham, with Abram, that Abram... Uh, bowed down and God showed up and they had a conversation and God changes Abram's name from exalted father to Abraham to be the father of multitude where God now begins to really ratify this promise again in Abraham's life and he also does so for Sarai uh, princess becomes Sarah a noble woman to where the promise is given to Sarah too who she was uh, barren the promise is ratified that this is just for her too it's not just for Abraham it's not for Hagar it's not for a servant it's for them and their relationship but it says now he appears to him. Now God appears. The Lord appears to Abraham. And that word appears is literally, it's see, to present oneself or to be shown. And I think so often we think of it being that we need to present ourselves to God. And we do. We should come before God with thankfulness and praise. But I also believe that a lot of times it is God who wants to present himself to us. That present, that gift, he wants to give it to us. He wants to show up on our behalf, to be set us, as Psalm 39.5 says, or 139.5, before and behind, you know, that he would watch out for us. He would present himself. You know, Abram was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. It's hot. I remember going to the Bahamas on a missions trip years ago, and uh, it was hot. And we, being foolish Americans, you know, not really knowing what life is practically like down there, are walking around in the heat of the day, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, Super hot, baking, going, why is no one outside? You know, hello, dummy. <laughs> That's like it's hot. You know, so we're like trying to, we had the time set up for the, an activity to bring the kids in the neighborhood out to play and bless them and share the gospel with the, their families and everything. Um, and we're going up to the doors and they're like, why are you outside? <laughs> like, come back, come back tonight at like five. And we're like, oh, okay, okay, cool. So we did that and God used it. But it's like, no one's walking around in the heat of day. So Abram's in the tent of his door, being a smart guy, taking a little siesta, hanging out on the side, letting, letting the tent door, and just looking out and considering. And all of a sudden, these guys show up. They show up in the heat of the day. No one else is out there, but God is out there. And I think that says that God will show up even when no one else will. I'm sure Abram wasn't expect Abraham, I'm going to do the reverse now. I'm going to call him Abraham, Abram instead of Abraham. Wasn't expecting anyone to show up that day. You know, it's 2 o'clock. Everyone's at work. You know, everyone's at home. No one's going to show up. And who shows up? Three men. You know, when we least expect it, like Matthew 24, 43 through 44, Jesus says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And he says in 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We're sitting, at, sitting in the doorway the heat of the day. Oh, Jesus appears. 
And also, I think it says, when everyone else says it's too hard, it's impossible or not going to happen, it's the middle of the day. No one's going to show up now, Abraham. God's not going to show up today on a Tuesday when it's 98 degrees in the shade. But Luke 18, 27, Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And it says that three men showed up. This was not an apparition. This wasn't the heat getting to Abraham. It wasn't a mirage. But three men showed up. You know, it reminds me of when Jesus ate after the resurrection to prove that it was really him when he showed up to them. He had the fish and bread. And we learn later that these other guys are not really guys. They're angels. You know, that you know, the Bible talks about we be careful and entertain strangers because some unknowingly have entertained angels before. Uh, we think about on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Jesus shows up with two men. It's not angels there. It's Moses and Elijah. Um, uh, or in the end times, uh, it, you know, they talk about the two prophets. Two men show up on God's behalf. Uh, but it's interesting that it says that Abraham knew who this was. He calls him Lord. He calls him uppercase Lord. Not Yahweh, but Lord is in master. He says, Lord, your servant. Your servant. Abraham, Abraham hasn't bowed himself down to anyone so far in Genesis other than God. He knows this is God right here. Abraham recognized right away when God showed up. Right away when God showed up, Abraham recognized him. And I wonder, do we? Do we recognize right away when God shows up? Oh, the Lord's here. Oh, come on, you know, come on in. Let's get, you know, let's get some food for him. Come on in, Lord. Come have a seat. Please hang out. I know you're busy. I know you're going somewhere. Please spend a little time with us. Please, God. And when you have that interesting thought, like we talked about, that you thought was a little out of place, you know, a week or so ago, I just had this thought like, oh, sell everything. You know, and part of me was like, oh, that's probably just me because I, I don't like packing things or moving things. Let's get rid of it. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the math for figuring out the move to Montana and how expensive it is. I'm like, it's going to cost me more to move there than my stuff is even worth. Like, <laughs> so... So looking at like buying a trailer instead of running a truck and paring down stuff to get a trailer because at least so I get a trailer I can spend pretty much what I spend on a moving truck and then a little bit more which if I got a moving truck I'd have to get another car or someone else to come with us like all these other costs start piling up so if I get a trailer hey I got a trailer I've wanted a trailer for a long time but even if I move there and I flip it and sell it even for just as little as half of what I paid for it I didn't just throw that money away on you know so it's like it's like this other thought and then a friend mentioned that to me the other day I'm like. That's actually a pretty good idea. That's actually kind of exciting and scary at the same time. But you know what? I really don't like these couches that much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll put them on Craigslist. You know what I mean? But sometimes that thought that was out of place, not a sinful thought. Maybe there's a coincidence or phone call. <laughs> just kidding. No, no, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care at all. Uh, a coincidence that you just can't ignore. When the check actually does come in the mail. Oh, uh, wow, I really did get this. When God gives you a word, and it actually does come to pass. You know, we forgot about it, but then all of a sudden it comes to pass. When there's an opportunity to share, or for God to work right in front of you. <laughs> We're closed. But again, when there's that coincidence that you just can't ignore in life, uh, when God gives you a word and you begin to actually see it come to pass, it wasn't just you. When there's an opportunity to share or for God to work, that's right in front of you. You know, it's obvious that like, we talked about the scripture, you know, a friend and I were talking about like sometimes it's just obvious, like 
it's plain in Scripture. Why do I need anything more specific than that? Why do I need to sit around praying anymore about it? It's, it's obvious. This is what God says to do. But you know, I think sometimes it's obvious, and obvious right away, only if we've spent that time with God like Abraham did in chapter 17. We won't see God if we're not meeting Him. We won't recognize Him if we're not familiar with Him. You know, I'm going to read a, a part of uh, this de- devotional, uh, The Discipline of Dismay. And I read it a couple days ago, and I totally didn't, like, I totally was like, I don't feel dismayed at all. Like, I feel like I've, I'm right close with God, and I know what He's doing. But listen to this. It says, As they followed, they were afraid, Mark 10:32. And at the beginning of our life with Jesus Christ, we were sure we knew all there was to know about following Him. It was a delight to forsake everything else and to throw ourselves before Him in fearless statement of love. But now we are not quite so sure. Jesus is far ahead of us and beginning to seem different and unfamiliar. Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. Mark 10, 32. Excuse me. There is an aspect of Jesus that chills even a disciple's heart to its depth and makes his entire spiritual life gasp for air. The unusual person and his face set like a flint is walking with great determination ahead of me. He strikes terror right through me. He no longer seems to be my counselor and friend and has a point of view about which I know nothing. All I can do is stand and stare at him in amazement. At first, I was confident that I understood him, but now I'm not so sure. I begin to realize that there is a distance between Jesus and me, and I can no longer be intimate with him. I have no idea where he's going, and the goal has become strangely distant. And I'm just going to skip down to the end. It says, But when the darkness of dismay comes, endure until it is over, because out of it will come the ability to follow Jesus truly, which brings inexpressibly wonderful joy. That there's times we think we know him, and I, you know, it's like I, I got a sense of what God was doing. But then as I begin to see these things come to pass, I go, man, Lord, like, you are so far ahead of me. The stuff that you are doing is like, I don't understand. And, and I put up a fight and I drag my feet and it's like, I just need to go with you. you. You got it figured out. And even when I think I have figured out, you show me that it's so much deeper, way more beautiful and, and so much more by his spirit than I ever could imagine. But Abraham says, Abraham says to uh, the Lord, he says, if I have now found favor in your sight, like you showed up. If I found favor in your sight, please stay a little bit. Please eat with me a little bit. And I think that might say that Abraham thought he hadn't yet found favor in God's sight. That perhaps because the child of promise hadn't come, he didn't have God's favor in his life. Favor, grace, acceptance. And I think a lot of us might feel that same way. That because the things that we desire, maybe God has even promised us, haven't yet come to pass. We haven't yet earned God's favor or grace in us. And I don't think the delay in Abraham's mind or perspective of God's promise not yet being fulfilled was a matter of not having God's favor. I don't think God's delay in bringing Isaac was because Abraham was out of favor with God. Look at the last chapter. He's meeting with God. He's face down with God. You know, God is blessing him and providing for him. He's He's been blessing the servants of God. Because, you know, it wasn't based on Abraham's performance, but instead the promise is based on God's providence, God's willingness and ability to provide for us. That's why God promises us, not for us to match up to it, but so that he can show how he's going to provide through it. You know, God met with him, cut covenant with him, changed his name, called him out. And I think Abraham had God's favor on him already his entire life. And you know, it didn't matter 
what Abraham thought. Didn't matter what others thought, where he came from or where he was going. Because you know what? God was looking on Abraham with love the whole time. Jeremiah 31.3 is what I was thinking. 31 says, The Lord has appeared to old, of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I've always loved you, Abraham. I've always loved you, Ashley or Mario or Pagel or Mima and Joanne. God has always loved you. And that's why he's calling you. That's why he's drawing you. That's why the people in the world, even the most sinner of sinners you can think of, God loves them. He's trying to draw them. Trying to draw them in. And he will until the day he comes back. Like Noah, Abel, and even Cain, God loved them and was kind to them. No matter their disposition or their actions. We see that throughout the scripture. The only thing that varied in these people's lives was their receiving of it. The only difference between Cain and Abel was the receiving of God's promise. Abel knew God's promise was coming and he brought a sacrifice. Cain thought he could do it on his own and that his way was better and he brought his salad. And God wasn't looking for a salad that day. Not because God doesn't like salad, but because it wasn't representative of the promise. It wasn't faith in the promise of the Messiah to come. And I really think that we Christians, myself included, miss out so much on what God has for us. What God wants to do, and in fact is already doing. Because we're so afraid it depends on our performance. Either we haven't been perfect, we haven't been holy 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we haven't been righteous enough, even up to our own standards. Or with that, we're afraid to carry things out because we're going to mess it up. We're not going to do it perfectly. You know, I tend to be a perfectionist. You know, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. If I don't do it right, then I fall into this despair. And uh, It's like I'm trying to make something at work, and it's like I've got to do it the right way. At some point, I just have to just, it, this is the way it's going to be, and I need to move on and get to the next thing. And everyone else goes, I don't see anything wrong with it. And I go, well, this, you know, but it's fine. It's fine. But with, with that, God doesn't ever expect perfection from us. Do you know that? God does not expect you Expect me to be perfect. I can be demanding. I can expect perfection sometimes out of my family. And that's foolish because I'm not perfect and, and they're better off than I am. So why, why should I think that, you know, is what it is? You know, last week we saw about patience having its perfect work, right? God is going to do the perfecting. We just need to do the seeking. The seeking. You know, uh, Esther was prepared for such a time as this. She was in the kingdom. She was queen. Mordecai goes... This is why God has you here. This is why you're here. To save the people. There's a reason why you're Queen Esther. And it's right in front of you. The reason why you are where you are. The reason why we are where we are. The reason why we're here. It's obvious. God's doing something. God's doing something. You know, I had this adult realization moment in the kitchen again. I tend to have these things where I realize, oh, I'm not 14 anymore. I'm an adult. But, you know... Like, oh, no, it's, it is. I remember, you know, growing up in the church and being, you know, younger believer. And now it's like a lot of people have moved on and there's still people that are around the area and God's using, God's ministering to. People kind of go, well, no, I'm the adult now. I'm the one that needs to pick up the reins. And, you know, not in a self-righteous way, but sincerely, like, we're not kids anymore. You know, we need to be the parents, so to speak. But you are here for a reason. And you are wherever you are for a reason. 
do the walking and let God sort it out. A lot of times we go, I don't know how it's going to work out, God. Well, God goes, well, let's find out. Start walking. Start doing. I don't know how this painting is going to turn out. Well, just start and begin to do it. And maybe you'll learn something along the way. You know, it's not an excuse to fail or to make mistakes purposely or sin or transgress. Like, oh, God will fix it, so I'm just going to go and carte blanche, not think about anything and, you know, uh, be cavalier attitude. And, uh, but sincerely, let's not let it hang us up. Not let us keep us stuck. But let's go forward and see what God might do. Because we might find out, we step out a couple steps and go, oh, this isn't the Lord. Okay, let's go this way. Well, you never would have found that out if you didn't take a few steps. Or you might walk out that way and say, well, this really is the Lord leading me. And this is awesome. And you keep going. Well, it really is. Because we need to be busy about our father's and your father's business. He's your dad. He's my dad. He's our father. And I think we miss that. So we just come, we just go, but we never truly, really live. John 10.10 says, Jesus says, The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. You know the reason why God is here with Abraham? That he may have life. That the promise may have life to it. And that was the real meat of the whole promise. Life where there was no heavenly or um, no humanly way. There was only a heavenly way for that promise to happen. Abraham and Sarah, as we see, are old. But it happens. And we need to be disciples, guys. I don't mean we need to talk around like, we're disciples and call ourselves that and just try and change the label for label's sake. But we need to be disciples because Jesus didn't say be a Christian. He said go and forth and make disciples of all nations. I think too many of us are just trying to be Christians. We find it's too hard. We find we're failing. And we find that that makes us not want to try any harder. Because what's the point? Well, good. Throw that away. Stop trying to be a Christian and just live the life of a disciple. Always learning. Always spending time with your master. Who's more than your master. He's your heavenly father. And that life that you want, you desire, deep down, even if you think it can't happen, will come. And when it does come, it's going to come more abundantly than you can ask, think, or imagine. You know, the order we see here with God and Abraham is that he calls him. There's the call, the promise, the covenant, the appearance, and now the assurance and the fulfillment to come. And this is how it works in God's economy. In no way in this time was it ever dependent on Abraham's input into it. Every time Abraham tried to do his own thing, his own input, whether it was waiting in Haran with his family, taking Lot, going to Egypt, listening to Sarai's advice, and being involved with Hagar, it backfired. It had nothing to do with the promise. In fact, it got in the way of the promise, and yet God said, out of the way. I'm still going to bring the promise despite your meddling here, Abraham. You know, because we can't make it happen through belief, guys. We can't just believe as hard as we want and make a promise happen. But it's strange because in belief, it's going to happen in God's time. can't make it happen through belief, but with true belief, it does happen. Because it's interesting that God says this in Scripture, like we talked about, faith the size of a mustard seed. He says what? You can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea. I'm weird, but there's times I go like, 
I have faith that that's going to happen. <laughs> and God doesn't let me do that because I would think that I had some superpower and I would go get a TV show and <laughs> charge people $19.95. But sincerely, what does Jesus mean by that? You see Jesus walking on the water and yet he laid down his godhood and he just had faith in the Father and he was walking on the water and Peter walked on the water. Jesus withered that tree. I'm not saying that we are in ourselves this superpower, but if God's really in us and we have faith and God says you can move a mountain, well, man, I don't have enough faith for that. <laughs> Let me have just enough faith to um, get up and come to church in the morning. But Abram says to them, take a break. Rest, please. You know, you guys are on this long journey. Let's wash up. It's a rest stop. This is the next exit, 40 miles, Sodom. You know, <laughs> come in here, stop here. You know, take that siesta, the heat. And again, although it wasn't based on Abraham's performance, I believe the waiting led Abraham to want to see God's favor above all else. I believe the waiting changed his heart from the king of the land to the servant of the king. Because being humbled is a good thing, especially when it's being humbled in the midst of a promise. God promised these things to Abraham, but it wasn't going to happen in Abraham's time. It was going to happen in God's time that God might show Abraham just how great God is. Abraham got Sarah to bake some cakes. He went out and got the good calf out of the field, and he got his servants to barbecue it up. He brought refreshments to the guests like a head servant, like a butler. He showed hospitality as unto the Lord. And the Bible says that when we serve others for his name's sake, we give a cup of cold water, even in a disciple's name, we've done it unto him. You know, Abraham's meal wasn't a cheap meal. It wasn't leftovers. You know, we've got a fridge full of leftovers at this point. There's no more room in there. It's like struggling to keep it cold because there's no room for the air. And that's good. That's a blessing. You know, that's, there's a lot of people who don't have that. But Abraham's meal was fresh. Abraham's meal for the Lord was hot. It was well prepared. And like that line in Jurassic Park, he spared no expense. You know, if we have guests over our house, we usually try and do the best for them. You know, yeah, I go and get the cheapest blue cups I can find at the store for you guys. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but sincerely, we want to have a good time. We want to make sure that it's not, you know, uh, it is what it is. We want to make sure that there's food there. And everyone brings food, too. And I think we all do our best for that. Um, you know, uh, no one else brings steak, but I think we'd all feel kind of like you didn't have to do that. Like, we do, and we bring stuff out of love, and I think it's awesome. But sometimes with old friends, we let them get what they want. You know, you, know, you go get it. <laughs> I'm not going to serve you. You serve me. You want the Cheetos? You go get them. Give me some when you come back. But I know that this could probably be seen as maybe him trying to butter up the Lord in some way. But I really don't think that that's Abraham's heart here. I don't think he's like, come, stay, have some bread, have some wine. You know, you know. I think he just really wants time with God. I think he was sincerely wanting to be a well-pleasing servant to his master. Let's go on to verse 9. We'll read through 16. It says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, I have gr- After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being... I'm sorry himself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I shall surely bear a child since I am old? Like, didn't you tell her, Abraham? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, but Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. So they say to Abraham, at this point, they've had the meal, everything's going on, they're talking. Where's your wife, Sarah? Why hasn't she come out here yet? You know, the promise involves you both, Abraham. It's for Abraham and Sarah. You can't just have a son on your own, Abraham. I don't know what you're thinking. But I give you a word the last time we spoke. Why is she not so expectant and out here? Why, when I say that she's going to have a baby, does she laugh? Have you not told her? Have you not shared my word with her yet? Abraham, how important it is to share with our spouses. I don't share with everyone what's going on in my life at some point. At some point, it, it eventually comes out, but usually right away, it's just with my wife. Sometimes I hesitate, but then the Lord reminds me, it's not just for you, it's for your wife as well. You know, I think culturally, you know, following from a distance, God was already breaking down those walls. You know, he, was, uh, he wasn't just interested in the man, he was interested in the man and the woman. Um, even though culturally, Sarah was, uh, you know, I don't know if she was the Abraham, but in the culture, she was more of a possession than she was like an equal. But God is showing, where's Sarah? Why isn't she out here with us? Showing interest in both parties of the promise. You know, God's promise is, is, is for everybody. He says, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life for, you know, like nine months. Amazing that it only takes nine months to go from one cell to an entire baby's body. They're all baby, whether it's one cell or a million cells. But it's amazing. That's all it takes is nine months for that amazing thing to, to, to go on. But Abraham and Sarah already knew the promise. It would be Sarah. It would be a son. It wouldn't be Hagar. It wouldn't be a servant. It wouldn't be a girl. It would be a boy that was born. But now there was a definite time frame given. They knew these things. But now God is saying, you got the time of life. You know, just enough time to get pregnant and have a baby. And that's all that's left. That's all that's left. I think sometimes in life, that's all that's left for us. God has promised us, God has told us, and all that's left is a time of life that, you know, it's going to come to be if you just begin to walk out that life now. If you just follow that promise that I gave you, if you just believe that word that I gave you and begin to live it out, you'll see that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. But if we sit back and we don't begin to believe it, we don't begin to allow God to work, and don't let that time of life begin to happen in us, it might not come to pass. It might never. But God wants it to. You know, because the rubber hits the road here. It's one thing to have, say you have a word from the Lord and share it or write it down in your journal, but it's another thing to tell other people about it. It's another thing to say, you know, <laughs> in nine months, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. She's like, Abraham, give me a break. You know, we're all like, no, 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 Lord, you know, because then nine months happens and you know, has she even started showing yet? <laughs> you know, you're going to know real soon whether or not Abraham is a real prophet or not. You know, I think it's a problem with false prophets. They, false prophets tend to put time frames on things more often than they do, like allowing things to just be holy. It's like, Lord's going to come back next year. Well, didn't you read the Bible? No. Yeah. <laughs> you aren't going to know that. <laughs> but sincerely, real faith isn't afraid of how long it may take or even how fast the fulfillment may arrive. Real faith is confident in God's timing alone. And I think all too often when things take time, we want them to what? Happen faster. But also, I think when things start to happen quickly, we also all of a sudden want them to slow down. 
You know, it's like when it's the winter. Oh, I can't wait for the summer to be here. It's too cold. I can't wait for it to be nice warm. The summer comes. You're like, oh, it's too hot. I can't wait for the winter. Just relax. <laughs> Put on a coat. Take off a coat. Enjoy it both, you know? Um, you know, but I think that that could be good advice. Because when it's clearly God's timing, it's not, a, it's not God's advice to slow down or laugh it off as impossible. Oh, you've only got two or three months to move. Oh, that's impossible. No, God's good. We've done it faster than that. Oh, you know, you should take six years to do it. Well, God's telling us to do it now. Or we want to do it now. Well, I think you should wait a little bit. You know, whatever God's timing is in your life, whatever he's showing you, rely on that. Because other people in your life, well-meaning, will say, slow down. Or well-meaning will say, speed up. Why aren't you getting married yet, son? Because God hasn't brought me a wife yet, Mom. <laughs> so stop trying to bring me one. And if she was here, I'd say the same thing and laugh. She gets a kick out of it. Because she was like, well, you, gotta, you know, I'm going to die and I'm not going to see my grandkids. You're still around. You've seen three grand. You know, it's like God's timing. It's fine. It worked out, Mom. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You're going to outlive me, I think. Um, but verse 11 really... <laughs> You know, reminds us of the facts. They are old. Well advanced in age. A polite way to say, you old. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes, unfortunately, the only thing we think we're advanced in is age. We haven't advanced in some skill. We're not a professional athlete. We haven't gained a heart of wisdom. The only thing we've gained in life is a lot of years, is having a lot of birthdays, is the calendar goes back really far. You know, but it was not a small thing to say Sarah was past the years of childbearing. It wasn't like, you know, the average age, 35 to 45, you know, she was 44, you know, or 46. She was 80, 90, you know, she was up there. It was 40, 50 years past the age of childbearing. It wasn't a close call here, guys. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. Like, this was, she's not the age anymore. And I really think... I know, I believe, I love, and so, I love it after the fact, I don't love it before the fact, but God loves showing up when we all but think it's beyond too late for him to do so. God, we're leaving in a month. Where, what's going to happen? Oh, don't worry. I've got it covered. <laughs> you just keep doing what I've told you to do, and I'm going to orchestrate everything else. You know, God, you could have showed up then, but you didn't. And then he waits even longer to show up just to prove a point. <laughs> it doesn't matter how close you are to childbearing age. Sarah, I'm giving you guys a promised son. Isaac, it has nothing to do with you or how old you are. It's the fact that I'm going to give you a son. And I believe it's just to reveal himself in an either, even deeper way to us. To make that miracle that he's promised even more of a miracle. There's no way to write it off. No way to blame fertility treatment or Dr. Oz or whatever. She's old. It was never going to happen. She had long given up on it. But God said, nope. you got nine months. I think in a way, God's got a sense of humor in the most loving, endearing way. But even that, it's not a joke to be laughed at. She laughed within herself, and he heard. You know, Matthew 9 uh, says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son of be a good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. God bless you. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he rose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. God knows what we're really thinking about him. God knows what we're really thinking about him. Stop and think about that for a minute. God knows what we're really thinking about him. A lot of times we put on a front. Even when we go to church, oh, hallelujah. But on the inside, we're like, somewhere else. God knows what we're thinking about him. So let's just tell him. Let's just bring it to him. Let's not play Christian. I'm not saying you guys are. You know, it's something I think we all, we all go through from time to time because life is hard. It's too hard for us. And Sarah calls Abraham Lord, lowercase l here, like he's her master. You know, that's partly cultural, but I think maybe that's why she laughed. Maybe she hadn't quite believed in the Lord for herself yet. There was still so much hurt, dismay, bitterness there because her desire hadn't been met. And in her mind and heart, the time, you know, the time it could have happened was long gone. And it was now, like we said, it was never going to happen. And so, yeah, I don't have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she said it quietly. She's in the kitchen doing whatever she's doing. But it was going to happen. We know that. It's easy for us to say, yeah, of course, Isaac, Israel. <laughs> it happened, you know. Why is she laughing? But from their perspective, how could they know? Other than believing what God had told them. And he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me, Sarah? Is this really too hard? You know, it wasn't the Lord Abraham who was going to get her pregnant, although God would use him physically. But it was the Lord who was going to spark the new little life in them and through them. It was the Lord who was going to do it. You know, is anything too hard for the Lord? And he repeats the promise, the timing, and is coming to them again. She laughs. What does he do here? He says, no, no you laughed. But here's the promise again. I'm, not sh- I'm just like, wake up, you know. It's going to happen. It's going to happen like I said it's going to happen. You know, and Sarah denied it because she was afraid, you know. I'd be pretty afraid, too, if someone heard my thoughts. You know, if we have company over, and I go in the kitchen, and I go, man, this guy's a jerk in my heart. <laughs> and then the guy goes, why do you think that? I'd be a little scared. <laughs> I'd probably go out the door. <laughs> Say, you're on your own, babe. <laughs> you got a piece. <laughs> you know, ever think something real loud in your head when you're not really paying attention to what's going on around you, and you're afraid that you just said it out loud? I've been at work and had thoughts. I've been thinking about stuff and go, did I just say that out loud? They're like, no. I'm like, oh, phew. <laughs> But maybe she's thinking that. You know, she doesn't have that close relationship with the Lord yet. And his words and his promise and his power to bring life scare her. Scare her. And people are afraid of coming to church. They're afraid of the Bible because it scares them because they don't yet know, know him. This is scary. It's scary to walk in a room, people standing around listening to the radio with their hands up in the air. Praying, I love you, God. That's a, little, that's a little off-putting if, you know, you don't know the Lord. You know? Well, God bless him because he's real and there is a fear that should be there, a holy fear. We're on the last page of notes. We're going to be done in a second here. But God is gracious. Like I said, he repeats his promise to them, you know, like getting their attention. Well, I don't know if it was necessarily a stern rebuttal. Like, no, you laughed. <laughs> I don't think it was that harsh. But again, I think it was, he was trying to snap her out of her unbelief. You know, there's times, uh, you know, kids will wake up and they're kind of half awake and kind of upset over a bad dream, and you kind of like flip the lights on, like, wake up, hey, wake up. Like, you know, snap him out of it. That needs to be done for us as well. But, you know, 
First uh, Peter four eleven and Philippians one twenty seven twenty eight talk about that we need to be in the Spirit. We need to do things like we read before that you know if we have the gift of God to do them. This talks about if we if anyone ministers, let him do with the ability that God supplies. And all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That all these things are to bring glory to God. The end of that promise is to bless you, but in that blessing, God might be glorified because you see Him for who He really is. He's appeared in the promise and you see him uh, for more than you could have ever seen him in any other way. But verse 16 says, the men get up to go to Sodom and Abram begins to show them out on the way, you know, that it's time for them to go. They get up at this point. Um, he, didn't, I don't, he didn't yet know what the trip to Sodom was all about. If you read on, you see that God was going to share it with him. You know, but I bet he was wondering, wouldn't you, you know, uh, especially if your nephew lived there, you know, we got family in Jersey and the Lord shows up and we have lunch with them and he goes, oh, I'm going down to New Jersey now. What are you going down there for? You now you begin to wonder about these things. I wonder, why are you going to New Jersey, God? Like, trust me, it's the last place on earth you want to visit. <laughs> it's not, though. But the timing of the promise coincides with the timing of the judgment. Their trip was to confirm the wickedness of Sodom and bring judgment. But on the way, God brought a message of his favor, of the heir to come. That heir wasn't just Isaac. It was a whole nation and a whole nation that would give birth to the Messiah, which would be what? The freedom from judgment. So God's coming down to inspect Sodom and bring judgment if necessary. But on the way, he brings promise of the Messiah and the timing of it. You know, Jesus fulfilled God's promise as a Messiah, yet his promised life, what? Culminated in judgment. Jesus was promised. They all thought he was going to take over as king. And then what happens right when they think that's going to happen? Crucified promise that was the promise that that would happen and his return will be the same when he comes back from heaven what else happens judgment tribulation you know we want revival we want his appearance in our day and age and and lives but we have to let him have his judgment in us and through us if we're not letting him judge us in our personal lives and we don't allow him to judge others, and I don't mean in a condemning way, but like, this is what the Word of God says. No, this is what the Word of God says. This is truth. Don't laugh. Don't scoff, because it's true. God is coming back. This is sin. This isn't sin. How do we expect revival to happen? Who's going to repent if there's nothing to repent from? If we don't tell them that this life is killing you. Why? Would you change? You're not going to change. Why is the church going to change? There's no reason to. You know, it's a lot of times we go to the doctor and the doctor tells us, this is killing you. That's why I don't want to go to the doctor because I know what he's going to tell me. Work out, eat better. I mean, okay, well, maybe I'll start eating better on my own, you know, because I, I know what he's going to tell me. I don't, you know, it's like, I know it. I just need to do it. I don't need to pay you to tell me, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of times we wait until it's too late. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says this. I read this earlier this week. It says, saying to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? A lot of times we think God loves to bring the judgment. He loves to crack the whip. No. He brings it because he has to. He would much rather we live. He gets no pleasure in destroying people. When the flood came, he was grieved. He was like, grieved because he had to do it. You know, did they finish the meal? Was the meal over at this point? Were they talking? Did they get up mid-meal? Was it like Sarah laughed and they said, all right, we don't want any more of your food, Sarah. 
No, I think it was just time for them to go at this point. They came not to have a meal, but to bring the promise. And once that promise was shared, their business there was done. And I think sometimes God comes into our life, like we saw last time Abraham and him were talking, God was done and God left up, left and went up from his presence. A lot of times we go, oh, God's not rude. God's just like, this is, this is it. You know, there's no more debating we need to do. The message is here. Let's go be about it. I've given you a word. The clock's ticking. Nine more months and you're going to have a baby boy. But he came to bring them a time of fellowship. And that fellowship, why they sat down and ate, was a package, I believe, for the delivery of the final promise. They wanted to come and sit and eat and bring it in a special way. They didn't just send a letter in the mail. They wanted to come and hand deliver it door to door. You know, God didn't have to walk there. God could have just showed up in Sodom. But he decided to go past Abraham's house. The promise wasn't, like I said, just for a son. But it was for the, I mean, it was not just for the son. That wasn't just the message. But it was the time for him to finally come. Maybe we don't know the timing yet of God's promises in our lives. But know that they will come. And know that if we seek him, he'll begin to make the timing more clear eventually. Eventually. But God's promises will come. Whether we know the, the, the timing or not, they will come in a time we don't expect. They will come faster than we want sometimes and slower than we'd like at other times. But know that God's promises in Him are yes and amen. And if they're yes and amen, well, they're yes and amen. Amen? amen. amen. God, thank you for your promise and your word. We're thankful that you're going to come back to us soon. And we don't want to laugh or scoff at that in these last days. We know there's a lot who do that. We pray that you would get their attention and show them that, no, this is the truth. You are coming back. The sin is real. There is a right and wrong in that. God, you're the one. So help us wait on your promise. The things you've promised us and spoken to us, help us not to run ahead or not to lag behind, but God, really be your disciples. God, work here in Orange County, in New York, through your ministers who are already working and those who are uh, are about to take on something uh, new. God, we pray that you would bless it and use it. And most of all, God, bring glory to your name and bring, uh, God, your favor to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.